You are listening to audio from Riverside Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit riverside.church. Good morning, friends. Welcome to Riverside. My name is Keith, one of the leaders around here. This morning, we're continuing on our sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus teaches us what it looks like to have an ethical life and a flourishing life and a, what a flourishing community of God looks like. In the past three weeks, we've looked at some pretty tough texts, right? Murder and anger, adultery and lust and divorce. Pretty heavy topics, right? They've been pretty heavy topics. And today's message is a little bit easier. Jesus says, hey, you know what? Tell the truth. Pretty After three weeks of heavy topics, you know, tell the truth seems like a pretty easy, easy topic to grasp. But I'll tell you, after studying this passage and really thinking about how it applies to me, to Keith, and to my words and my posture and my motivations and my everyday life, it's as convicting, if not more convicting for me in terms of how I live and what a flourishing life looks like and and what a true community of committed followers of Jesus look like together. And I think this is because we live in a pretty lazy culture when it comes to truth, don't we? We come in a culture that's pretty flippant with what is reality and what is not reality. Our our world has a huge problem with being honest. For example, take a look at this first picture. This is an advertisement for Sensa. You sprinkle this on anything you eat, and you'll lose weight without deprivation. Lose 30 pounds without dieting. Amen? Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, if you don't believe that one, how about this one? I, I just bought this book because Pastor Andrew is six foot nine, but 13 proven ways that in four weeks I'm going to be able to dunk over him. It's a true book on Amazon. Bring it, he says, the six nine pastor. Or how about this one? You know, you get, you get a letter like this in the mail, Staples. An $18 billion company per year, three good offers, just for you. This is just for you from an $18 billion company. Doesn't that feel good? They think about you? There's nothing misleading about that, right? Nothing misleading about that one. This is one of my favorite ones. How about this? The left is what they tell you you're going to get. Amen? Amen. The right's what you get. Can you imagine if like there's like a truth in marketing ad like you have to put like like for any commercial you have to go to like to the the West Side McDonald's at 2 p.m. and whatever you get has to be in the advertisement. Can you imagine that? Or how about this one? This is another great one. Six second abs. You can't see this, but literally on the bottom of the seal it says amazing results for six seconds a day for 14 days. You can also. So six seconds times 14 days, I've not done the math, I should have done that ahead of time. How many, that's uh, less than a minute and a half of your life. Abs like that. Oh, in, in fairness, they just said you'll have abs, not abs like that. Brilliant. You should be in marketing. <laughs> you should be in marketing. And, and these are, are obviously a little misleading, right? And we can discern this from a mile away, but this same kind of deception, the same kind of false promises, it propagates the rest of our world, doesn't it? This is the world we live in, where in the political spectrum, falsities, the workplaces, things get exaggerated. Even promises we sometimes make in the church. 
We live in a day where truth takes on a lot of different meanings than what it really means. People try to spin their words, right? Posture. Say something so it fits the situation. It's hard to know who to trust these days. And folks who use, if you know, a really high compliment is someone who says, oh, they're so truthworthy. Like, that's a compliment, right? Oh, they are filled with integrity. You think, like, that would be the baseline, right? But that's not like a major compliment in our world. Oh, you can trust this person. It's sad, isn't it? And what we're going to see in the scriptures is that this permeating dishonesty that we have in our culture, it's not new today. This is not a new thing that all of a sudden us with multimedia have discovered. No, this has been a problem for all of mankind since our very, very beginning. And so Jesus will address it in the Sermon on the Mount. And he does. We're going to look at that today. He calls us to have truth and integrity, to stop exaggerating, to even stop using spiritual language to make us feel better. We're going to see the context here, spiritual language that was kind of being misused. So let's stop using spiritual things in cliche and in trite ways. So not talking about murder, amen. We're not talking about adultery, which is not talking about divorce, but this is still a pretty, pretty big topic, pretty touchy topic, a pretty formative passage that I believe it will lead us to a flourishing life and a flourishing community together if we will yield to it. So before we read today's text, let's pause, acknowledge the presence of God is here. His spirit is here to help form us, not just so we can try harder, but so his spirit can help us empower us to live this life. Let's invite him to open up our hearts and minds. Spirit of God, I pray that you would move in this church in a way that roots out any manipulation and dishonesty and insecurity that leads to posturing and exaggeration. I pray that we'd be a people of truth, your truth, And Spirit, I just know there's an enemy who wants to seek, kill, and destroy, and, 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 and so lies of deception. And so, Spirit, we invite you. Form us. Have your way. Move in a mighty way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 5. Starting in verse 33. Again, you've heard it said. We're in a section where he says, again, you've heard it said this to the people long ago. Don't break an oath, but fulfill to the Lord the value you have made. But I, Jesus, I tell you, don't swear an oath at all. Either by heaven, it's God's throne. Don't swear by the earth, it's his footstool. Don't swear by Jerusalem, it's a city of the great king. Don't even swear by your head if you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. <laughs> evil one. So first off, Jesus says this. Again, you've heard it said long ago. You've heard it said long ago. You've heard this saying in our culture, this Jewish religious culture. You've heard it said long ago, don't break an oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Well, where does that come from? The Old Testament. He's, he's quoting scripture. Several passages he's putting together, by the way. One comes Leviticus 19. It says this, Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God, for I am the Lord. Which, by the way, means that you can swear an oath by God's name here, just it better not be false. That's the context there. 
Numbers chapter 30. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his words. He must do everything he says. So if you make a vow or a pledge or an oath to God, you're obligated. Follow through. Deuteronomy 23, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. The Lord your God will certainly demand it of you. In other words, how we use our words, it's important. Words have a huge impact on relationships with each other and with God. Right? The problem with words is they are very easy to say. And very easy to manipulate. And then not follow through. And one of the way that people, one of the ways that people try to communicate how serious they are with their words is and how committed they are to what they say is through an oath, right? It's an oath. And sometimes and it seems like those previous Old Testament passages are okay with oaths. Right? They seem to be okay with that. But then Jesus comes along and says, you've heard it said, but I, I say to you in Matthew chapter 5, don't swear at all. No more. All you need to say is simply yes or no. No more swearing oaths. So maybe Jesus is saying, you know, it was okay back then, but no more. No more oaths now. No more swearing now. But what you're saying is true. But here's the hard part about this text. After the resurrection, after Jesus' resurrection, after his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, folks like the Apostle Paul, it's kind of a big deal, right? Wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament letter. I mean, like, big deal. He still makes oaths. What? For example, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. So why not return to Corinth? I swear to God. That's what he's saying. I call God as my witness. Like, or Galatians 1. I assure you before God that what I'm saying is true. So it's like what gives, right? I mean, like, Jesus says no more oaths, no more swearing to tell the truth. But then, like, the Apostle Paul kind of seems to be doing that. I mean, so who do we follow? I mean, if you follow the letter of Jesus, does that mean if you come to a court of law and, and, and the magistrate says it's time for you to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, to help you God. I don't think they say to help you God anymore, but we won't go into that kind of political discussion. Do you swear to tell the truth? Can you go, well, I can't swear. I can't give an oath, but I promise. Is that what Christians should do when they come to a court of law? If it comes time to sign a contract, did you say, you know what, I don't want to put in writing. I don't need to. My yes means yes. I don't need to sign my name to it, right? That's kind of similar. And by the way, some folks have come to that conclusion based on the Sermon on the Mount, based on the words of Jesus. And I can understand that. But honestly, I think it goes a lot deeper than that. That's almost an easy explanation. It goes way deeper. And understand the original context is so important to unlocking this text. I don't think Jesus is fully outlawing oaths or contracts. He's actually doing something much greater. You see, the issue of the day in Jesus' time and our time, by the way, is how people were manipulating their words, manipulating their oaths, and being weasels with their words. By the way, when I was growing up, my mother's nickname to me was Weasel. She called my nickname was Weasel. 
So you can imagine, this is, there's a reason she got that nickname for me. I struggle with this stuff. So, but we can be weasels with our words, right? And this is especially true, by the way, with the religious leaders in Jesus' day. Do you know the religious people sometimes struggle with this? Oh, my goodness, six-second abs. But you can have them, right? See, in Jesus' day, here's the deal. If you swore by God, you better follow through, right? If you swore something by God, you better follow through. Leviticus 19, don't swear falsely by God's name. Numbers 30, when a man takes a vow to the Lord. Deuteronomy 23, if you make a vow to the Lord your God. And here's the sneaky games people were playing with their words. The religious leaders would stand up and make a public oath, a public declaration, a public promise that seemed to communicate their commitment to God, but they did it in sneaky ways. And little wiggle room was left. Instead of swearing by God, which is a big deal, they'd swear by the temple of God. Oh, sneaky. Instead of swearing by the temple of God, they would swear by the furniture in God's temple, which makes it seem, right? And they would twist their words to make it look like they were being honest before God, but they were manipulating people. And by the way, Jesus calls this out later in Matthew, chapter 23. He says this directly to them. Woe to you, you blind guides. Woe to you, you pastors who manipulate your words. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if you swear by the gold in the temple, then they're bound by the oath. You're blind fools. What's greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, well, if someone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if they swear by the gift on the altar, they're bound by an oath. You're blind. What's greater, the gift or the altar? The, the altar of God that makes the gift sacred. But God's presence there, by the way. You see the difference? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it, everything around it. Anyone who swears by the temple swears by it, and the one who dwells in it. Who dwells in the temple of God? God's presence, special presence. Anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne, and by the one who sits on it. It's about God's presence. You see, the religious people are trying to get around the meaning of words. Try to suit themselves however they want to. Try to make it look like they're being honest and look like they're being godly, but they're not. And they knew that the closer the thing was to God they could swear by, the more it looked better. But they could say, but we didn't swear by God. We swore by the temple furniture of God. I didn't swear in front of the church. I swore by the communion table. This happens today, right? You know, a kid, you know, I swear I'll pay you back. Really? I swear to God I'll pay you back. They're raising the bar. I swear on my life. When when you the thing you swear by, the more valuable it is, kind of raises the bar, right? We have this vernacular. The more valuable it is, the more weight it carries. So if you swear by God's name, you swear by God's very presence in nature. But if you swear by the temple or the furniture, you can be a little bit more lax with it. It seems like you're invoking God and being trustworthy, but there's also wiggle room. But Jesus says, No. <laughs> He's got a very clear reason why he says no. No more manipulation. He tears apart this line of reasoning. He demolishes that argument because of one simple, critical thing. What is it? God's presence. Because where is God? 
He's omnipresent. Where's his kingdom? What does he own? What does he not own? Right? He's everywhere. He's always present. We're always before God. He's always with us. Always. Everything we do is done right before God. Everything. His presence, His presence, His presence, His presence. Which is why He gives the examples He does in Matthew chapter 5. I tell you, don't swear an oath at all, either by heaven, because when you swear by heaven, guess who's there? Guess whose throne's there? God. Religious people think you can swear by heaven, communicate truthfulness, but guess what? He's there. You're, you're, you're swearing in front of God, his presence. Or it says, do not swear by the earth, for it is his footstool. It's where his foot rests. You think you can swear by things on earth and all of a sudden get out of it? No, God's presence is there. It's here. It's everywhere. Do not swear by Jerusalem. It's the city of the great king. Who's in Jerusalem that you swear by? The great king. Whose presence is there? The king. God. Don't swear by your head. You cannot make even one hair white or black, which I think is kind of funny now in modern day. You can go to Walmart and get Clairol. I can't, obviously, but you can make your hair white or black nowadays, but original context. But guess what? His kingdom's all over your life. His presence is all over your life. So even when you swear on your life, you're swearing and communicating God's ownership. He owns it. So be truthful before God. That's the background. God is everywhere. He's, he owns everything. There's, so there's no wiggle room now with our honesty. You don't get a wiggle room because of this. And if that's the background, which it is, Matthew 23 shows us that background, all of a sudden, does it not raise the bar in terms of truth? Do you not see how the bar gets raised? <laughs> White lies? Little small little lies? Well, sorry, that was right before the throne of God that you made that promise. We're always before God's presence. And because of this, no matter what the situation is, then well then guess what? You know the simple answer is? Jesus tells us, by the way. The simple way to act now is simply this. Well, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. You don't need to twist your words anymore. We don't have to manipulate anymore. We don't have to look good anymore. It's just very simple. We're always before God who already knows. You're already before God. So just be simple and plain and honest. Can you imagine how churches would be different if this was just how people live? Just, I mean, imagine if you just, okay, look. In our family, we will never lie to each other, never exaggerate to each other, never stretch the truth. We'll just be completely honest. Can you imagine how amazing that would be? Because it's so easy to manipulate, try to control and position. We'll say things like, you know what, I don't really want to hang out today because I'm really tired. Right? We say that, but what we really mean is you offended me last time, I don't want to hang out with you. Right? But we won't say that. We don't have, we don't, we don't want to say that, so we'll say, oh, I'm just really tired. Dave, last Wednesday, I really was actually traveling when I told you. I didn't want to, <laughs> I was actually out of town, but you know, I just want to be very, very, I can show you my calendar, but like, this is kind of awkward now. You know, we say things like, I'm just really tired, but what we really meant is you offended me and I don't really want to hang out now. And we think we're helping, but we're really hurting. Because if I go to my friend and I say, you offended me last time, that's kind of why I don't want to come over tonight. Guess what happens? You talk about it. And the Spirit of God moves. Reconciliation can happen. And that seed of discontent that's being sowed can then be 
can be addressed by the kingdom of God. We, we, we think we're admitting, but we're actually hurting things. We say, no, 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 it, everything's okay, I'm just under the weather a little bit, when really we're struggling with a sin or advice, a vice in our life that's pulling us down, but we won't talk about it. So we say, I'm a little under the weather, when really what it means we're struggling with a sin and we want to hide. Or we'll say things like, sure, I'd love to come help. We show up, but we do it pretty grudgingly, <laughs> right? Amen to that. That's not helping. It's kind of lying. It's not kind of lying, it is. Or it's, I had a great time we, let, we got together last. We had a great time when really you're saying it was fine, but honestly, I don't want to go there again. Why not just say that? We use our words to manipulate, to control, or just flat out lie. We try to con- impress others with our words. And it's not always malicious, is it? But it's not always truthful. Maybe we get caught up in the situation, in the heat of a moment. Maybe we're on a mission trip, right? We say, you know what? I promise I'll write to you, and I'll pray for you every day. Right? But you get home, the routine of life sets in, and you never really follow up. It's not malicious. It's just you didn't really mean it. You were just caught up in emotions. We use flattery. We admit the truth. We massage the numbers to make ourselves look better. We control the narrative. And it slowly but surely erodes the culture of the church, of our hearts, of our families, of our workplaces. It leads up to damaging and damaging. If you weren't here last week and you're not on our church email, you missed an announcement. Um, last week I announced after 15 years I'm stepping down as the lead pastor of this church. So by the way, for the few of you who might not be on our church email weren't here, Ta-da! Um, I've, been offered, I've been talking with the elders for around nine months about this. I've been offered a job to fly an airplane full-time. I'm a, I'm a pilot on the side, not on the side much longer, obviously. It'll be my full-time job. But um, that'll end it. I'll start on June 1st. So May 20th is my last day. We announced that last week. Um, but we also stood up here and said, Shelly and I and our family, we're planning on staying in the church. We stood up here and said, we're planning on staying in the church. We love this church. We also stood up here and said, the reason I'm stepping down is I want to fly an airplane. <laughs> That's the reason. And I said very clearly, there's no, like, there's no burnout. There's no like secret discord going on. There's no like tension that I'm trying to run away from. I just really had this opportunity to fly an airplane. I miss my engineering brain being used, and I miss being around non-believers, and I've really enjoyed flying an airplane. It's a lot of fun, by the way. And I shared that knowing the week later, I had to stand up here and say, no manipulating, no massaging, no, no positioning. Let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. And I know, I know people have heard before, oh, we'll write letters. Oh, we're, we're sticking around. Oh, there's nothing else going on. And then you find out later, oh, there were other things, right? People in churches have found this out. This happens in churches all the time because we just won't tell the truth. And I'm telling you right now, the plan for Shelly and I, our hope is to stay with you all because we love you and you've loved us so well. And there's not some secret thing going on. I just want to fly an airplane. And I think that's actually pretty spiritual, by the way. Well, I got, 
I think it can be very spiritual. <laughs> now I have to make it spiritual anyway. Now look, that could be hard. When things change around here, because new, new leaders will probably change things, and I, and I said I'm going to submit myself to leaders. I said when the new leadership you know, fully comes in place, and I'm, I'm a church member, I'm an attender, I'm not the pastor, I'm not an elder, I've said publicly I'm looking forward to submitting to leadership. I'll need you guys to help me with that. I'm serious with this. This is like when I want to kind of like, can you, Brian, can you believe what they're doing, the songs they're picking? Can you believe that? You need to say to me, Keith, you said publicly you want to submit to leadership. David, when I want to run and we're hanging out, I say, I, I, David, I want to run. You say, Keith, you said your words. You hold me accountable. Andrew, if I start being a pain in your butt, you tell me, shut up and sit down, Keith. You said. But you can see how easy it would be to weasel. Can you not see that? Especially when your nature and your mom called you weasel all the time growing up. This is not easy. I'm just convinced if we can do this transition well as a church, how much it'll form me as a follower of Jesus and us as a people. And all the myths of the temptations to lie, manipulate, control the narrative, Jesus says, in the midst of my kingdom, you don't need to do that. In the midst of my kingdom, you don't have to manipulate with words. You don't have to exaggerate. No. No flashy oaths. No public grand promises that are, no, just let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. That's it. Be honest. Be brutally honest. And trust Jesus. Trust his presence. That's it. Now, Here's the deal. If you're a Pharisee, if you really care about your image, if you really care about your status, this is a crushing message. Like if you now have to be honest with everything you post on Instagram with no filters, this is a crushing message. I'm not making a comment about Instagram filters. On, that was. If you're a Pharisee, this is crushing. If looking good in front of others is, is what matters to you, this is crushing. Because telling the truth won't always make you look good, by the way. (laughs) Confessing sin, confessing struggle, confessing hurt, honestly sharing about your shortcomings, it doesn't always make you look good. Right? So if you're a Pharisee, this is crushing, sorry. But if you believe the good news of Jesus... If you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you know how secure you are in Jesus, if you know how secure your identity is in Jesus, then this is freeing, amen? Isn't this freeing? It it brings accountability. I think I just asked you all for accountability come June. But it gives us so much freedom. It gives you freedom from posturing, freedom from having to pretend have it all together. It's freeing. You don't have to exaggerate about your life if you trust in Jesus. You don't have to exaggerate on your resume if you trust in Jesus. You don't have to 
skirt around your shortcomings if you trust in Jesus. You don't have to make excuses for your sin and hide if you trust in Jesus. You can say, I'm struggling with this sin, brother or sister. And by the way, a community of God that lives like this, a people who would live like this, can you imagine a kind of faith community where we can just trust everything someone says? Like, oh yeah, no. Like, oh, the, like the exception's not, well, David's an exceptionally honest person. The exception is, like, they're all, there's, I can't think of one person who's not honest. Can you imagine the community? I mean, it'd be incredible. This is what builds the community of God's people, a community where honesty is flourishing, where trust is able to be given and received. This is God's way, and it's good. This is God's way. It's good. And the alternative way, I'm not being dramatic here, because Jesus tells you what the alternative is. It's either God's way, which is honesty. It's like, there's not much wiggle room here, people. Or, Satan. Verse 37. All you need to say in light of all this kingdom of God stuff is yes or no and mean it. Anything beyond that's from the pit of hell. <laughs> Don't glance over that. I don't think he's being dramatic. He's being honest. Behind every manipulation. Behind every manipulation. Behind every posturing to make it look a little bit better or to kind of say the truth but to leave the truth out. It's not gray. It's evil. Words of Jesus. Not something to be trite with. Not, oh, it's a little bit gray. No, it's not gray. It's not gray. It's evil. In John chapter 8, Jesus lays out two options. <laughs> I mean, he just lays out two options. Option number one. Verse 32, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Option one, you'll know the truth and what will come? Freedom. Option two, verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry your, the devil's desires. He's a murderer from the beginning. And what's the thing he does from the beginning? Not holding on to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he's a liar and the father of lies. <laughs> we, my friends, as followers of Jesus, are followers of the one true God. We reject Satan. We reject the father of lies. By the way, in the baptismal vows that we'll cover today in our baptismal kind of lunch in class. Well, the second thing we, we ask people before we dunk them, we say, do you reject Satan in all of his ways? It's the second vow we make in our baptismal pledges. We reject Satan. We reject the father of lies. In, in light of this, how we use our words, it matters. It shows where our hearts are. 
It shows where we place our trust. And make no mistake about this. This is not easy, and it's going to cost you. Telling the truth, by the way, I'm not... (laughs) I hope I didn't paint like rose-petaled walk in the flowers by telling the truth. If you tell the truth, it's not going to be a walk in the park. It might cost you your life. It might cost you your job. It might cost you friendships. So make no mistake, I'm not trying to paint puppy dogs and roses here. Because if we follow Jesus, look what the truth did to him. John chapter 18. This is the one we follow. The one we emulate. The one who the Spirit of God's forming us into the image of. He's on trial. The religious leaders slap him on the face in verse 22. And then he says this. If I said something wrong, testify to it. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? In other words, why they hit him? Because he told the truth. They hit him because he's a truth teller. Later on in the chapter, before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, Pilate asked Jesus, why are these people so upset? Jesus, what is going on? Verse 37, Jesus responds. Jesus answers, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world was to testify to the truth. Everyone who's on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate goes, well, what is truth? (laughs) Friends, I mean, the reality is, Jesus goes to the cross because of truth. He died on the cross because he told the truth. It's not always easy to tell the truth. It's not always easy to say the full thing. It can be easy to say the first 80%, but not the last 20% that we're holding back. And truth-telling can be costly. It can be deadly. It obviously cost him. It's interesting. Like, if you think about this, like, all the lies I have told him, I've told, all the sin that I have propagated through my misuse of words, the God of truth took on the cross and died for. I mean, he paid the price for me to tell the truth. <laughs> He paid the price to free me from my sin of lies. Oh, it's costly to tell the truth. It'll cost us as well. But I think it's so worth it. Amen? And I would love, I think we're a pretty truthful community, but can you imagine if our church grows even more into truth? If we can go through a pastoral transition, like being honest with each other, oh my goodness. If we can look each other in the eye and be truthful and say, yeah, brother, I'm, I'm struggling with a sin. I mean, David talked about lust and adultery last week. If the stats are true in the church, what's going on in this room right now, the past 30 days with men and women in this room, can you imagine a church where it's just like you can say, look, can I just talk with you, Pastor Andrew? Like, I'm struggling with pornography. Just lay it out there. Tell you what, I, it'd be incredible. We can have a church where we can just be like that broken and that truthful. Or 
for Brian. This is hypo, hypo, it's not true, Brian, but you know what you said at group on Thursday night? It frustrated me. It didn't, by the way. Brian's like one of the sweetest guys ever. I can communicate. Larry's probably more like you and me would probably say something, right, in group. Yeah, probably you and me. But if I don't share that and it festers, but can you imagine a church where I say, hey, hey, Brian, can we talk? And just That's going to be amazing. Formative. We don't have to posture. We don't have to posture. Because we follow Jesus who told the truth. It cost him. Oh, but he would say it was worth it. Amen. He said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, is what it says. So. Friends, we're going to pray right now. I then invite you to come to the table of communion where you just are reminded he is, he's covered your sin. So this is not a, it's not a sermon of condemnation. This is not a sermon where I'm mad at you. It's not a sermon where I'm, it's a sermon where we just say, God, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your safety. Thank you for your, your covering of us. Thank you that no matter what we were to confess that you care for us, right? Help us become the kind of people who live this out. We come to the table knowing we can't do this on our own. You can't make yourself so secure that you would just share no matter what the truth. You cannot do this on your own, but with the Spirit of God in you, with like the work of God in us, the death and resurrection of Christ in us, this this remembrance of it in us and empowering us, informing us as possible. That's what we do when we come to the table. We remember, we celebrate. It's an amazing thing. So this is not a workspace message. This is a gospel message. So come to the table. Experience grace. Let's declare our love for him through song and prayer. Let's pray. God, I do pray right now in the name of Jesus against anything the evil one wants to do in our church, especially when it comes to the use of our words. God, I pray against manipulation. I pray against emotional posturing. I pray against, you know, you know, summer camp sayings where we just kind of say the emotional thing at the end and then nothing changes. I pray that we'd be rooted in truth, the truth of your gospel, the truth of your presence, the truth that your presence is always everywhere, always with us. We are before you right now. We're before you when we drive away from here. We're before you when we lay our heads down tonight. There's nowhere that we go that is not part of your kingdom. God, I pray that we be truth tellers. I pray even this week for times of confession and repentance and and honesty, God. God, I pray right now if there are people in this church who are on the verge of an affair or having an affair, that it would come to light through their truth telling. I, I just, this is your kingdom. It's what you preached on. It's what you said, Jesus. I just pray it would come to light through truthfulness. And we'd work through it. God, I pray for anyone in here who's stealing. Or posturing. I pray that we would just be secure enough to confess, God, and the freedom that comes from all of this, God. God, may this not just be a sermon series where we just talk about things and nothing changes, God. And 
thank you there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. <laughs> thank you. That because of your work on the cross, the truth of your gospel, there's no condemnation. This is not, this is just grace. This is grace. And so we thank you for this grace. We thank you for your work. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for community. And we say, thank you. Thank you. Have your way in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to Riverside Church. For more resources, visit riverside.church.